beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? What is it about him that causes you to put your faith in him? Muslims put their trust in Allah. Hindus put their trust in Brahman. Buddhists put their trust in Buddha. Millions of people subscribe to these religions. And yet we confess the name of Jesus Christ. Why is that? What is so special about him? And how do we know that we are serving the true God? We confess the name of Jesus Christ because he is our Lord. More than that, he is the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. The Father has given him power and authority over all things. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne at God's right hand. He's majestic and powerful. He rules over all. Why has the Father exalted Jesus as Lord over all? It's because Jesus was willing to humble himself unto death. He gave up his life for the sake of all who believe in him. Jesus has delivered us from our sins and from the mastery of Satan. He has bought us with his precious blood, claimed us as his own. Our comfort is that we may belong to him, that he keeps us in his loving care. Yet to be followers of Christ, we need to recognize him as our Lord and King. If we want to be Jesus' disciples, we need to submit ourselves to him. We can only do that if we recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's impossible to devote our lives to him unless we believe in him. That's why Jesus taught his disciples about his lordship. Through his words and deeds, he revealed himself as the promised Messiah. We see this in the first miraculous sign that Jesus performed at the start of his public ministry. When present at a wedding feast in Cana, Jesus turned water into wine. Through this sign, he displayed his divine power and glory. So his followers would begin to consider who he was. Jesus made it clear he was not just another rabbi or some prophet sent by God. He showed himself to be our Lord and our King. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. By changing water into wine, Jesus manifests his glory as the Lord of Lords. Jesus shows himself to be the Lord of creation, the Lord of redemption, and the Lord of glory. The events of our text take place at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. John 1 tells us how Jesus called John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathanael to follow him. Our text says that 
On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now the disciples had heard some wonderful things about Jesus. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the end of John 1, Jesus made it clear he saw Nathanael sitting under the fig tree. Jesus' supernatural knowledge about him provoked Nathanael to confess, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathanael's confession is clearly something that came from God. It's only by the powerful working of the Spirit in him that he's able to confess Jesus as God's Son and as Israel's King. It is a beautiful confession, but the basis for it is still weak. You see, beloved, while the disciples may have heard some good things about Jesus, they did not yet really know him. It's only in the past few days that they had begun to follow him. Despite their positive impressions about Jesus, they did not have much of a basis on which to put their faith and trust in Christ alone. Thus, in our text, we see Jesus beginning to make himself known to his disciples. He does so by performing the first of his mighty signs. In John's Gospel, the miraculous works that Jesus did are often referred to as signs. There's a reason for this. Signs signify something. They have meaning. The signs Jesus did point to the fact that he is God's son, that he is Israel's promised Messiah. The reason Jesus did various signs was to help the people understand who he was so that they might put their faith and their trust in him. So Jesus attends a wedding with his disciples. It was common in those days for a wedding feast to last a week. It was a huge celebration. Family and friends and neighbors were all invited to take part in the festivities. It's while Jesus and his disciples were at this feast that something terrible happens. They ran out of wine. We might say big deal. But in those days, it was a big deal. It was a social disgrace for the bridegroom not to provide enough wine. How was the party supposed to continue without any more wine to drink? Wine was a symbol of joy. If nothing was done to remedy the situation, this young couple would always be remembered as the couple at whose party the wine ran dry. Our text shows us how Mary, Jesus' mother, alerted him to the problem. She knew that Jesus was someone special. She was the one who had stored up in her heart all the miraculous things that took place around Christ's birth. After giving birth to Jesus, Mary had more children. She knew better than anyone else that Jesus was not like other children. She knew 
that he would be called Son of the Most High, that God would give him the throne of his father David, that he would reign over the house of Jacob. Thus, Mary told Jesus, they have no more wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. To us, this sounds like an abrupt and disrespectful response. The fact that Jesus addresses his mother as woman seems rather cold to us. Yet Jesus was not disrespecting his mother. Christ also addresses Mary as woman when he was dying on the cross. And when out of love and concern for her, he tells his disciple John to take care of her. At the same time, Christ's words are a mild form of rebuke. Though Jesus loves and respects his mom, she has to learn that in his public ministry, he will no longer be subject to her. Instead, he will have to do the will of his heavenly father. That's why Christ says, my hour has not yet come. For him, the time had not yet come to reveal himself. Mary responds to this with faith. She tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Mary knew that Jesus was able to provide wine for this young couple. She was confident in his ability to spare them a great public embarrassment from running out of wine at their wedding feast. Mary also knew the heart of her son, that he was gentle and kind, compassionate and loving. She knew that Jesus would want to help this young couple in need. Thus she commands the servants to do whatever Jesus told them to do. Our text tells us there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Each of them held some 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Jesus then told them to draw some out and give it to the master of the feast. When the master of ceremonies tasted the wine, the water now become wine. He could not believe how good it was. Thus, Jesus performed a great wonder at the wedding feast at Cana. He turned these six big stone jars with water into wine. We ask, what was the purpose of this miracle? Why has John recorded it in his gospel? Our text gives us the reason in verse 11. It says that Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. We see that Jesus performed his first sign to point to who he was. He displayed his lordship so that his disciples would learn to put their faith and trust in him. In the same way, our text encourages us to recognize Jesus' lordship. It shows us he is Lord of all of creation. When God created the world, he did so in an awesome way. For 
He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God said, let there be light, and there was light. On each of the days of creation, we hear the refrain, let there be. And every time the conclusion is, and it was so. At the end of his creative work, God evaluated all that he had made. Genesis 1 verse 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. At the beginning of his gospel, John told us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here Jesus is called the Word. And John tells us that the Father created all things through him. The Lord Jesus was active in the creation of this world. In our text, we see how he manifests that to his disciples. Up to now, Christ had lived in obscurity for 30 years. He was known as Joseph of Nazareth, the carpenter. As the son of Joseph of Nazareth, the carpenter. Yet at the wedding feast at Cana, this changes. Jesus shows he's Lord of all creation. For by changing water into wine, he makes clear creation is subject to him. By the word of his mouth, God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. Similarly, by his divine power, Christ changed water into wine. Our text shows us that John wants to highlight the parallels between God's creative work and the sign Christ performed at Cana. For the conclusion of both accounts is similar. In Genesis, we noted that when God evaluated his creative work, he concluded that it was very good. In our text, the same conclusion is drawn. When the servants bring the water that Christ changed into wine to the master of ceremonies, he cannot believe how good it is. He approaches the bridegroom and tells him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. We hear echoes of the creation account coming through. By his almighty power, Christ changed water into wine. And it was very good. It's significant that this happened at a marriage feast. Again, there are parallels with the creative work of God. In paradise, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He took a rib from his side and from it created Eve. He gave her to Adam. Thus we see that at the beginning of time, God ordained marriage. And with it, he gave great joy. Adam no longer had to feel lonely. God gave him a helper fit for him. With his presence at the wedding feast in Cana, we see that Christ honored marriage. 
At the beginning of his ministry, he performed his first sign at a wedding feast. He showed his support for the institution of marriage. By making water into wine, he gave great joy, for he allowed the feast to continue to be celebrated. Through this mighty sign, Christ shows he is the Lord of life. And so we come back to the question, why do we believe in Jesus Christ? Our text teaches the answer to this question. It's because Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. As our creator, he has made us. It's through him alone that we live and move and have our being. It's through his almighty power that he governs us. He nurtures us. He cares for us. He preserves our lives. As his people, we are important to him. The reason we put our trust in Jesus Christ and not in other gods is because Christ alone is king over all of creation. He and he alone is in charge of our lives. This brings us to our second point. We'll see that Jesus shows himself to be the Lord of redemption. In the Bible, the Lord Jesus is often compared to Moses. During his earthly ministry, the Jews often compare Christ's words and works with those of Moses. The writer of Hebrews compares Jesus Christ to Moses to show Christ's great superiority over him. Our text also shows us that the redemptive work of Moses for God's people is far surpassed by Christ's redemptive work. It teaches us Christ is Lord of our salvation. There is an interesting parallel between the first sign Moses performed against Pharaoh and the first sign that Christ performed at Cana. Both of these signs involved the changing of water into something red. In the first plague, Moses changed water into blood. It was a sign of God's curse on Pharaoh and on the Egyptian gods. The water of the Nile, the source of life in Egypt, was changed into a stinking cesspool. Through Moses' first sign, God brought death and destruction on the land of Egypt. Yet Jesus' first sign in Cana had the opposite effect. It involved a change of water into wine. It was a sign of God's blessing upon his people. A sign of life and of joy. The wedding feast would have been ruined without Jesus' intervention. We see that Jesus saves the day. That he is the giver of great joy. Our text uses a number of symbols to show us that Christ truly is the Lord of our redemption. It speaks about those six water pots. They were not just any pots. Verse 6 of our text specifies they were stone pots used for purification. We know that the Jews would not eat unless they had washed their hands, in keeping with the tradition of the elders. 
We see that these pots were used in order to make people ceremonially clean. We can say they were a symbol of all the Old Testament ceremonial laws. It is the water in these pots that Jesus makes into wine. This change of water into wine is symbolic. It signifies moving forward in the history of redemption. There's a moving forward from the old covenant into the new covenant. Since Jesus is the one who performs this mighty sign, he is put in the spotlight. That's appropriate because Jesus is the Lord of our redemption. He's the Messiah promised in the old covenant. He's the one who has come to bring salvation for his people. If the Jews paid attention to the Old Testament scriptures, they could have known this. For the prophets used wine as a symbol of the ushering in of the Messianic age. God's prophets had to speak to the children of Israel about the ruin and destruction that was coming upon them because of their sinfulness. They warned of the impending exile. Yet they were also allowed to prophesy restoration and hope. It's remarkable that they often used an abundance of wine as a symbol of the coming Messiah. In chapter 3, verse 18, Joel pictures the restoration of Jerusalem with these words. He said, In that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine. Amos said something similar in chapter 9, verse 13. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine. The hills shall flow with it. The point is the crops will be so bountiful, the harvesters will have difficulty getting them in before it's time to plant the next crops. In these prophecies, the abundance of wine is symbolic of the Messianic age, of the time when Christ would come to bring redemption for his people. By changing water into wine, by providing an abundance of it at the wedding feast in Cana, Christ showed he came in fulfillment of these prophecies. He showed that he is the Lord of our redemption. You see, beloved, the laws of Moses were not sufficient to save anyone. The purification with water practiced by the Jews only cleansed dirt from their bodies. It did not wash away the sin of their souls. Only the Messiah could do that. His work as our mediator is so much greater than Moses' work on behalf of the people of Israel. For while it's true Moses delivered the Israelites from the slavery of Pharaoh, he could not save them from sin and death. That is the reason why Christ had to come into this world. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to deliver us from the mastery of the devil. Jesus truly is the Lord of our salvation. So we come back to the question, why do we believe in Jesus Christ? Our text gives the answer. It's because Jesus is the Lord of our lives. 
as our Redeemer. He has saved us from all our sins and delivered us from the power of the evil one. By his salvation work, he has paid the price for our sins and restored us to fellowship with God. We can put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he's the Lord of our redemption. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This brings us to our final point. We'll see that Jesus shows himself to be the Lord of glory. In verse 11 of our text, John tells us that the changing of water into wine was the first of Jesus' signs, that by it Jesus manifested his glory. It's remarkable that John never refers to Jesus' mighty works as miracles, like the other Gospels do. He always refers to them as signs. It's significant, for the signs symbolize something. They point us to something beyond the miracle itself. They show us who Jesus is and why we should believe in him. We've seen that this is the case in the miracle Jesus performed at Cana. By changing water into wine, Jesus showed forth his glory. He taught his followers he was not just a carpenter from Nazareth. By changing water into wine, he showed he was the Messiah sent forth from God. Although no one fully understood it yet, Jesus showed himself to be Lord of lords and King of kings. He showed himself to be the Lord of glory. Our text tells us that his disciples believed in him. They had already confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. Yet through the changing of water into wine, Jesus strengthens their faith, so they'll continue to follow him. That's also the reason why John makes clear Jesus' lordship to us. He wants to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to help us put our trust completely in him. Our text is meant to teach us to submit our lives to the service of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Do you, beloved, recognize Jesus Christ as your Lord and your King? Is it your desire to praise and glorify his name with the whole of your life? Recognizing Christ as our Lord and King means more than just thinking that it is so. It means more than just believing that this is true. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If Christ is truly our Lord... It needs to be evident in the whole of our life. Beloved, in your daily life, do you submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Christ has called us to take up our cross and follow him. 
You know what that means? It means that just as Jesus was willing to deny himself and to do what the Father wanted him to do, so we need to do likewise. We need to learn to say no to our sinful desires. Christ has redeemed us by his blood. He is renewing us by his spirit. In Christ, we are a new creation. Beloved, we are to live as such, showing forth our thankfulness to God by loving him with all our hearts, by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Beloved, there are two possible pathways in life for each one of us. Either we recognize Christ's lordship and submit our hearts and lives to him, or we reject Christ's lordship and we do what we want. There's no middle road. Each of these pathways are leading us somewhere. Rejecting Christ's lordship and following our own sinful hearts leads us away from God. The pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. We say we just need time. We'll repent later. If you continue to reject Christ's call to repent and to submit to him, the time will also come when Christ will reject you. Beloved, Jesus is the Lord of life. He wants the best for each one of us. He does not want any of us to perish, but all to come to repentance. Thus, the Lord Jesus promises wonderful blessings to all who believe in him, who submit to his lordship, who follow him. The wedding feast at Cana points forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which John writes about in Revelation 19. John sees a vision of how all who believe in Jesus Christ are invited to this wedding feast. What is striking about this marriage feast is that the Lord of glory will not be a guest at it. He will be the host, the bridegroom, and we will be his bride. We may look forward to a joyous celebration of life in communion with our Savior. A time of peace that surpasses all understanding. A time of joy that knows no bounds. A time of glory so wondrous we cannot even imagine it. This is the blessing Christ has promised to all who recognize him as king and who submit to his lordship. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together. From hymn 79, stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Mm-hmm.